Wait, what? I don't know what that voice was. <laughs> Wait, what? Oh, just a little boy. All right. Hey, everyone. This is Chad, and just a heads up, uh, my kids might be running in and out of this recording as my wife is out of town today, so bear with us. And I'm Clint, and my kids have been banished to the basement. And this hot mess is Schoolja. The podcast made by teachers for teachers. Brought to you by two middle-aged dads and hipster doofuses who talk across the country about the American education system. We hope you find our show as entertaining as a mandatory staff meeting on Friday. Whoa, setting expectations pretty low there, Chad. Well, you did write the script. Eh, fair enough. So, Chad, how do you feel about subs? Oh, I would not want to live in one. That seems terrifying. Wait. Yeah, it, I mean, it just seems so cramped and uncomfortable. And, I mean, what if someone farted? Oh, you know, no, 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 just, no, 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 no. Not submarines. Substitutes. Oh, yeah, I don't want to live in one of those either. That makes sense. So how often do you need a sub throughout the year, Chad? Uh, For things pertaining to my own needs, like uh, an appointment or being sick, maybe once or twice. Sometimes a few more for, you know, conferences or, or school-related act- uh, activities. But maybe, I don't know, maybe four times a year. How often would you get a sub if it weren't such a terrible experience? Easily at least a few more than that. I find that I oftentimes... Uh, especially for being sick, I will definitely suck it up sometimes when if it wasn't such a terrible experience to get a sub, uh, I would I would probably stay home. And not only just terrible experience to get the sub and put the plans together and all of that, but generally it ends up being a disaster. Kids don't learn anything and it's just a stupid experience for everybody, not just us. So I did a little bit of searching uh, on the World Wide Web, the internet, And I found some truly horrifying substitute stories from both the teacher and student perspective. And Chad, your job is to decide which one of them is the worst. Oh, this is going to be great. They're all a little bit short, so we should go pretty quickly, but let's uh, let's just jump right in here. Number one, I got sick toward the end of the quarter. Students had a big test coming up, so I decided to give them time to review and study and left instructions telling the sub to allow them to have a quiet study hall and work together if it didn't get too loud. What the sub did was put on some silly movie for them to watch. I was later told that he told them that I had left a ton of work for them to do, but he was changing the plan in order to make himself look cool. Because of the end of the quarter deadlines, I couldn't move the test, and a lot of kids didn't do so well. Um, okay. Somebody online dubbed this the Michael Scott of substitutes. I have actually had this happen to me before, not with a test coming up, but just like someone who just went rogue on their own subplans. Was kind of the hero to the kids. They all thought it was really cool, and I was not happy. So that was number one, the Michael Scott. All right, number two. In high school, we were supposed to watch Harry Potter in Latin class because my teacher was out. The sub totally lost it. She started spouting some crazy stuff about how demons were going to come out of the TV and get her for watching witchcraft, and that they would come out of the TV at her house and get her there. We haven't heard from her since. Okay, so just a psycho. So we'll call that the demon witch. Number three. I remember a fifth grade sub who actually told the entire class that the girls didn't have to do the assignment because... Their real job in life was to make babies and keep their husbands happy. Yes, he was serious. He only made the guys complete the assignment and only helped the guys when they had questions. So we'll call this guy, um... Butthole. Baby man. Oh, okay. Okay, number four. I was teaching second grade and had a sub for the morning while I was in a workshop. 
I returned after lunch slash recess, and at least five kids were hysterically crying. The sub had gotten tired of waiting for them at the water fountain, and had told the class that the water was bad, and they would get sick from drinking it. That went over really well with the ones who had already had the drinks. <laughs> oh, God. What grade was that? Uh, that was in second grade. So what are we going to call that one? Second graders who think they're poisoned. Number five. This is the last one. Recently, I had a sub in my classroom so I could attend some professional development. The lady told a few of the girls in the classroom that she hopes they burn in hell. These are sixth graders, by the way. Of course, I've had to smooth things over with parents who were understandably irate with the situation. Oh, my gosh. So uh, those are your five different sub stories. We've got the Michael Scott, the Demon Witch, Baby Man, the... Poisoner, and finally, the person who told people to burn in hell. Okay, so here's the thing. The first one is really a poor job of executing the plans. Or not executing the plans at all. It affects the education piece more. The other four are kind of just horrible people. <laughs> yeah. So... I feel like it would, even though like when you first, when you read the first one, I was like, that's hor like, that really bothers me. I have to set that aside when you talk about like just being bad to kids, even though I know it's traumatic, I'm going to set aside the water one just because that's like more of a mean trick. I, I, I'm not a proponent of making second graders cry. Like you could just tell them that person was wrong. Okay. So I'm really down between the chauvinist sub who told the, the, the women or the girls that they were only supposed to make babies and the, and the burn in hell one. Cause I just think that's just flat out mean. I'm going to have to go with the guy who, who told the, the, the girls that, uh, I mean, I, I, I have a fifth grade daughter. You do too. Uh, I can't imagine if uh, if I found out that she had an adult male in her classroom telling her things like that and setting that standard. And then, obviously, teaching, teaching boys uh, that that's okay. So I'm going to go with that one. I think that's a good choice. So number three, Baby Man Boo. is the winner. Or really, more appropriately, the, the loser. loser. Yikes. Uh, I think after all that, uh, what do you say we take a quick break? That sounds good to me. All right. We'll be right back. Today's episode of Schoolja is sponsored by Jamit. Class is about to start, and you have copies to make. Unfortunately, there's five other teachers crowding around the copier in the same situation as you. At this rate, you'll never get your copies made in time. What should you do? Pull out your phone, of course. With the new app, Jamit, you can instantly shut down the closest copier, causing a jammed message to blink across the display screen. As the other teachers search for the non-existent scrap of paper causing the issue, feel free to take a relaxing stroll around the office or refill your coffee cup. By the time you return, the other teachers will have abandoned the copier as a lost cause, giving you the opportunity to turn off your app and make your handouts without having to plan ahead or even politely wait in line. Jam it. Because the world revolves around you. All right, welcome back. Chad, when we were kids... Who was the richest man in the world? Easy. Richie Rich. <laughs> nah, I'm kidding. I'm pretty sure it was Bill Gates. Yeah, he was the richest man in the world. And I don't know if you knew this, but uh, he retired from Microsoft a long time ago. And he uses a lot of his wealth to improve the lives of people all around the world. He does a lot of things with global health in some of the poorer countries in the world trying to improve people's lives, which is great. And he also has a, a large portion of his money goes to research and development in the world of education. And so a lot of the things that we do today and the ways that we uh, do our jobs are 
are a result of his and his wife's influence. Yeah, like what? Well, he and his wife's foundation, which is called the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation because they're not very clever, <laughs> uh, were big pushers of the Common Core and also something called Intensive Partnerships for Effective Teaching, which was meant to incentivize teachers in a different way than had been done previously to improve student outcomes. And unfortunately, according to a recent study by the Rand Corporation, this extremely expensive teacher initiative largely failed in its goals. So let, let's take the second half of the podcast to try and figure out why it's that way. Okay. So the first one is data-driven evaluation of teachers. This is a thing where, for those of you that are uninitiated, the administration will come in and do several observations, and they will keep track of a long range of and a long list of different characteristics of the classroom and look to see how well you are doing on it. What do you, what do we think about that? The data driven evaluation of teachers. Um, I mean, I, I think it I think it makes sense in that providing some sort of concrete value to to things uh, at least allows you to kind of compare teachers, um, maybe give areas for improvement rather than kind of these vague rubric type things. But my question with any sort of evaluation of teachers, if you're if you're considering it to be data, is at some point it's still uh, subjective, even if there is a value scale. There's still a subjective piece to that by the evaluator. When our district was adopting this new teacher evaluation system, we'd watch a video of a teacher and then they would talk about this one one area of evaluation, you know, whether it be uh, question and question and discussion techniques. And there's like a scale of one to five or whatever it may be. And like this guy that was training us, like we would all talk about it and our opinions varied widely on what that was. And yet his point was, no, there's one correct answer. This person is a three. And people at our table, some people thought they were a two, some people thought they were a five. And he just kept saying like, well, the more you get trained, the more you'll be able to like nail this down and know exactly what that performance was. And I just, I never bought it. I still believe it's based on uh, your own perception and your own opinions. And, and as much as we try to make it data-based, I still think it's really subjective. What about you? I think that that's true. What I did like about having my evaluation be a little bit more data-driven is that it did give me more concrete room for improvement. Prior to this system being implemented, administrators would come in and they would sit in your room and they would kind of tell you, oh, I kind of like this. So they give you a rundown of this is everything you said. And it it wasn't as useful. And then when I when this started happening, I would sit down with the administrator and they said, you know, you're doing really well in all these things, but I'm noticing that you're not doing this. And then we would look at it and talk about how to fix it. And um, it requires a little bit of thicker skin on the part of the teacher. Uh, but I think that it can be really helpful to see, oh, you didn't do, you know, these particular things as well as you could have. And one of the things that I find to be a cultural switch that is difficult for teachers to flip is the idea of these evaluations are not punitive. They are instead meant to help you grow and develop and be better. And it's really hard for people to recognize that and to think, oh, this is good for me. In fact, according to, I, I said that the RAND Institute is the group that studied uh, the effectiveness of this, this was one that most teachers thought that the evaluation system had helped them improve their teaching. So most people thought it was useful. They may not have loved everything about it, but they did think that it was pretty useful. Yeah, and I think a lot of that has to do uh, with making sure you have an administrator that's good at 
doing the evaluation as well. That's absolutely true. You know, whatever your district or, or state does for that evaluation piece, like make sure they're well-trained and they're clearly communicating. And I think it's good to have clear areas of improvement. I also just want to point out, I think it's really important that we we don't expect teachers to be awesome at everything. I mean, the goal is to always get better at weak areas and things like that. But like, I think that's what makes a student's experience. And I think from a high school perspective, especially where kids are seeing seven teachers a day, you know, this teacher is really great at, you know, organization and communication or whatever it may be. But this person, this other teacher, maybe that's not their strong suit, but they have really great interpersonal skills. And, and I, I, I mean, again, I think it's important that we're always improving, but I, I hope it's not expected that every teacher is hitting like every area at the highest mark. Um, and I hope teachers can kind of wrap their heads around like their strengths and their wheelhouses and being okay with some some weak areas. And that actually takes us to the next one, which is they wanted to increase the retention of effective teachers and then have ineffective teachers either be removed or remove themselves. The initiative had little effect on the retention of effective teachers but it did increase the rate of departure of ineffective teachers. So I'm curious about this. What did they actually do to retain good teachers and remove? I mean, what was the what was the plan? According, again, to the RAND Institute, the sites made efforts to ret- retain effective teachers, including offering additional compensation and career opportunities based on effectiveness. So they had other kinds of jobs, I guess. I don't know. It doesn't really say very clearly what those things specifically were, but also added compensation. So so people could get paid more if they were quote unquote more effective. Uh, have you seen this in in effect at all? I certainly have not been uh, aware of any sort of compensation for being an effective teacher. Right, and this is kind of the the merit based pay situation that uh, that has kind of been kicked around since the beginning of my career, and it's never really happened. Um, I should say that this program, while some of the things were uh, implemented in a broader scale, uh, this particular program was only done in like four or five different sites around the country. So it's not like a universal thing. Okay. Well, and I would say this, the other thing too, is it is very hard to get rid of ineffective teachers. Other than breaking the law or doing something unethical to the point where you are quickly removed, it's nearly impossible. (laughs) Yeah. It's also like, you know, we sometimes have a really difficult time finding teachers. And so, um, you know, uh, it's not like the, the, the talent pool is so deep that, uh, People have, you know, schools have the the option to just get rid of people who aren't effective because sometimes the person that would replace them is even less effective. Yeah, we I've I have seen that many times in my career. So one of the things that they kind of discover is that teachers don't quote unquote perform better when they're given more pay. They also discussed uh, professional development based on staff needs, and they say. Um, evaluation-linked professional development and support were difficult to achieve. Yeah, it's because professional development needs to be individualized, and instead we get cookie-cutter, you know, one-size-fits-all situations, and that's that's not, not helpful. And I, I don't know the best way to do it. I just know that what we have been doing for years and years and years is not super effective. Right. I guess the, the big thing that we kind of have to talk about now is if this failed, if having a more data-driven evaluation system did not improve student outcomes, and if paying teachers based on their effectiveness or giving them different career opportunities didn't improve student outcomes, what do we think would improve student outcomes? What is going to help those marginalized kids that we, that we teach to achieve 
achieve at a high level? Dude, if I had that answer, I would be a millionaire. I'd be richer than Bill and Melinda Gates. I don't think that you could sell that idea for more than $122 billion. Fair enough. That's a lot of, that's a lot of cheese. That is a lot of cheese. If only they were from Wisconsin. One of the things when we talk about student outcomes that I feel, and I think even maybe Bill and Melinda are missing the boat on this, is we are taking kids at, you know, I think age 15 is a really pivotal point in, in students' lives. And, and again, I can't speak to elementary, and I don't know how assessment and evaluation. I know, like, I think reading at second grade is a big benchmark. A certain reading level at second grade I think is a really big deal. But other than that, I really don't know, you know, what we're talking about in, in terms of student outcomes at the lower levels. But one of the things that I feel really strongly about is, you know, from about 15 and up, we are trying to get all of our kids through one tunnel uh, in terms of their educational outcome. And we are measuring that by the same measuring stick. And I think that when we talk about student outcomes, we have to start providing way more options and a lot more varied measuring sticks in terms of what we consider to be success. And I'm really starting to notice, especially since I've been doing this for a while in the same community, that like I will see kids who did not do well in high school and did not finish well. And I see them being really successful in they have the ability to work hard and to show their intellect in different ways. And it just wasn't high school. And if they had the opportunity at age 15 to start down those paths, their outcomes would have been positive. Um and so that, I guess, you know, I guess that's where I'm at with in terms of, you know, quote unquote student outcomes. My personal belief is I would be fascinated to watch Bill and Melinda Gates take their money and take a community and say, OK, we are going to invest a ton of money in that community to make sure that it has extremely well put together parks and arts programs. And it has after school care for everyone and it has like a universal healthcare type system. Teachers are valued in the community and they are not overworked. We're going to hire a bunch of teachers so that everybody only has a certain number of of students. Give them the resources that they need in their classroom to be able to take care of everything that needs to be taken care of because quite frankly, I just don't see how we are supposed to as teachers make up for the deficits that our communities have faced as as the middle class across the country has been kind of crushed into oblivion. That's nothing to say to the lower class where parents are working two and three jobs sometimes, minimum wage jobs, doing their very best, but they don't have time. Maybe if they had a job uh, where they were paid decently, things would be taken care of. There's a phrase that I couldn't find who originally said it, culture eats systems for breakfast or something like that. Honestly, I think that's the problem. It's not school culture. I think schools are doing extremely well with what we have to work with. I think that it's the rest around us that needs to be, if we could boost those things, if we could really invest our time and money into the community in general and make a culture of education is important and that there are multiple ways to gain success, then we would be a more successful system and we would see better outcomes. I mean, we talk about the drug and alcohol problems with teenagers and there's a lot of suicide problems with teenagers. Those are problems of desperation, of people who don't know where to turn, who don't know what to do to have their lives be improved. And you can't say the only way that you're going to be able to be a success in life is go to college to a kid who is not college material and expect that they are going to be successful. They're just going to give up. And I, I don't understand why our system is so monolithic and we need more than just teachers to be taking this on. You know, we get compared a lot to Finland 
and to Germany and other places like that, and you look at how they run their education system, and their education system is actually not that radical. It's not that different from what we're doing. It's that their communities value education and value teachers and take care of each other. And they don't have the go it alone kind of mentality that we do in the United States. And it's a, we have a cultural problem, not an educational problem. Rant over. Whew. That was deep stuff, man. All right, listeners. So do you have any thoughts on how to improve uh, student outcomes? We'd love to hear them. So let us know by posting on our Facebook page or Twitter at School DuPod. And now let's take another quick break. Are you too busy to make a home-cooked dinner after a long day teaching other people's kids? Needing a day off to recharge? Blue Apron has the solution you're looking for. That's right. Blue Apron sends you fresh, delicious, pre-portioned ingredients to make unbelievably delicious meals, but also provides a special viral blend to make you just the right amount of sick. You know, sick enough to skip work without feeling guilty, but not so sick you won't enjoy binge-watching Stranger Things from your couch all day. So the next time you're needing a great meal and a day off, think Flu Apron. Yum. All right, welcome back, everybody. It's now time for our favorite segment of the show. Wait, what? Well, I've got it for today. This is actually kind of old news, but I just can't stop thinking about it because it is so stinking funny to me. One of the most conservative states in the country is the state of Utah. What? I know. That was a, right? that was a surprise reaction. Yes. Yeah, so uh, imagine my shock. When I found out that their Department of Health and Human Services, in order to kind of raise awareness about uh, sexually transmitted diseases, decided to come up with a series of Utah-themed condoms. (laughs) (laughs) So they have Utah-themed condom packaging. One of them uh, has a picture of the famous Arches National uh, Monument or National Park. And it says, put your arch into it. Another one has a a picture of two mountains. And it says, enjoy your mountain. Wow. Another one has the biggest city in Utah, Salt Lake. And then the abbreviation for Utah is UT. So if you put Salt Lake initials and UT together, what do you get, Chad? Slut? Uh Uh-huh. Wow. It says that on the front with a comma in the middle of it. They have a picture of a bear. And it says, don't go bear. Um, And then... My personal favorite, explore Utah's caves. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) So so they they made these condoms. They were hilarious, like obviously very tongue-in-cheek, not meaning anything like to be too out of control, but really funny. But then Utah's governor... Uh, stopped the distribution, gathered all of the condoms back, and destroyed them. Not he didn't destroy them personally, but he had them destroyed because he didn't want uh, he didn't want to face political backlash from the very conservative people there. And what's funny to me is that these condoms had to be approved. Like that process must have been long and difficult. I almost said long and hard, but I'd have to cut that out. <laughs> it was just a, it's just shocking to me that it took all the way up until the last minute for them to realize, hey, you know, people might might be offended in this very conservative state, but these these things are hilarious. I mean, I, I think they're hilarious. I am not the most conservative person in the world, but I would imagine most states, if they did anything along those lines, like somebody would come along and complain. I mean, not to mention a very conservative state like Utah, but that's that's hilarious. I'm just surprised that they decided to pull out. <laughs> <laughs> 
the thing about it though is i mean condoms themselves lend themselves to the idea of sex so like putting a slogan on a condom like if you already have the condom you're not using it for a water balloon right and it's not like you're putting these on billboards and stuff i think they were going to be in like the health department wow so anyway that's uh that's my wait what because i one was surprised that they got made two was surprised where they got made and then three was uh a little disappointed that they that they weren't distributed because I certainly think that they are funny. You know, when you said Utah themed condoms, I was more thinking the actual condom was somehow themed Utah, not the wrapper. Oh. And I was really trying to wrap my head around what that was gonna be like. But don't wrap condoms around your head, Chad, that you could suffocate and die. Well, Clint, I think it's time to <laughs> wrap this thing up and slide on into our outro. I'm editing this is going to be so hard. Have a question, folks? Do you want to share your <laughs> ideas on how to improve student outcomes? We have an email address for that. Contact us at schooledypodcast at gmail.com. You can follow me on Instagram at chatterboxes and at my web store, chatterboxes.com. You can also find me on Twitter at Seahill Astoria. And don't forget about our website, schooljapod.com. And please don't forget, all our sponsors are fake. And as always, a big shout out to Clint's wife, Nikki, for our wonderful theme song. Hey, if you liked what you heard, please subscribe. And don't forget to give us a quick review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find us. Or if that seems too hard, tell a friend to listen. Or you could sponsor a NASCAR driver and head up the school your racing team. Or they could just give us that money and we could quit our jobs and do this full time. Ooh, that, my friend, is a way better idea. Yes, send us all your NASCAR money. I can't wait to cash that check. Anyway, thanks for listening. We will see you soon. Wait, what?